So be sure to let them know about that. Also, uh, parking. Is the parking lot a little full? Yeah, especially those of you, um, the, the ones nodding are probably those of you who came in a little late. Like, you know that it's full out there. So especially next Sunday, uh, it's consistently it's the, the highest attended Sunday of the year. If you could, and maybe even every Sunday you'd consider starting to do this, but park a ways away and walk if you're able, and uh, leave spots that are closer for those who are guests. Um, Also, if you're serving next Sunday, especially in the nursery, and really this just goes kind of anywhere, but please be on time. Um, I know uh, Pastor Dan uh, isn't here to come and rally the troops sometimes with that, but uh, when you show up late, it throws everything into chaos back there, uh, especially if you're serving in kids' ministry or in the nursery, so please be here early, be on time, and if you're looking for a place to serve, uh, there's a need for more nursery workers. Do you know our nursery is packed these days? Did you know that? How many of you serve in the nursery? Am I lying? Am Am I telling lies? It's packed, isn't it? Like, they're ready for two services in the nursery, like, seriously, they, they're, they're running out of room, and we need more workers as well. And what a great, great blessing that we have in that. Um, after Easter, we're going to be going into the book of Galatians and studying that together verse by verse and uh, into the summer. And, uh, but today, we're in the middle of a series called The Pearl. And uh, I, I pulled out my pearl earlier, and I've seen some of you. You've been showing them to me. Yeah, I've been, I've been praying, Josh, and um, I've been uh, figuring out ways I can spend time with people and invite them out to eat and uh, spend a meal with them like Jesus did. Uh, I've, I've, I've thought now today we're going to talk about how do you turn that meal into something that actually affects their life where you're learning to ask questions like Jesus did. Jesus was a master at asking questions, and along with this, we're going to talk about revealing, uh, that you're going to reveal your story, and throughout all of it, you got to keep in mind that you're to love them no matter what, right? We're sent to love people and invite them to follow Jesus with us, and you're sent to love them no matter whether they ever follow Jesus or not. You're sent here for the life of the world, and uh, that's why we're here, and we're here to love people that they would know Jesus' grace, And uh, that's our goal this morning. And uh, the whole idea of the pearl comes from a parable Jesus told in Matthew chapter 13. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. And upon finding one of great value, he went and sold everything he had and purchased that one pearl. That's the heart of evangelism. It's helping somebody score that pearl, get something that is of eternal, unbelievable value to them. It's not convincing them of facts, it's, it's giving them a gift and helping them discover it and find it. So today we're going to talk about uh, some ways you can do that when it comes to asking questions of people. And uh, before we do, though, uh, let me pray, and then we're going to dive in together. Let's pray. Father, thanks for Jesus. Thanks for your grace to us through him. Thank you, Jesus, that you give us a model to uh, reach people with the gospel and to do evangelism that is uh, absolutely doable and something we can grasp no matter who we are or where we are. um, uh, We can do this. We can pray for people, Jesus, like you did. We can uh, spend time with them and eat a meal with them like you did and slow down. We can ask them questions. And even, uh, we'll see this morning, even if we're not good at asking questions now, by your grace, you can help us become better at it uh, in discovering who people are, in loving them, and in um, uh, really developing a relationship with them. Over the course of that time, we'll get to reveal our story and help us to love people no matter what. 
Holy Spirit, I pray you'd teach me even as I teach. You'd speak through me today uh, that we would leave uh, with uh, even more practical tools to go out and uh, reach people with the truth that changes everything with your gospel. So guide our time today, I pray, against the enemy as servants their works and effects. Change us by the power of your spirit today, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So today we're talking about asking questions. You're like, man, last week was maybe the easiest sermon I could ever learn to apply, eat. I can do that one, Josh. I did it three times a day, seven days a week this week. I ate. Uh, Well, we're talking about last week eating with people and spending time with them. And and today we want to take that a step further, though. Because if all you do is just go out to eat with them, that's that's great. But, But really the goal is to get to know them, to slow down, to care for them, to love them. To ask questions. Did you know um, Jesus was a master at asking questions? He was a master at it. Um, So when you uh, go out to eat with somebody, really, or you invite them over for a meal or to spend time with them, use that as an opportunity to ask questions like Jesus did and love them and get to know them. You know, as a rabbi, he was supposed to ask questions, right? So, of course, he was good at it. He was a rabbi, but it it was part of the rabbi-disciple relationship. You would ask a question, and then often the disciples would respond uh, with some sort of question of their own, and uh, it would get lobbied back and forth, and just this endless discussion going deeper and deeper as things went. And when Jesus asked questions, uh, he's asking as a teacher, as a rabbi, and what he tends to do when you really study his questions is he unnerves, he realigns, he transforms, he subverts all the old assumptions and loyalties that anyone had. And I wonder if you were able to sit down with Jesus and you're thinking, oh, I wonder what questions I would ask him. I don't know that you'd get a chance to ask many questions because I think he would be the one asking you questions. Because he's a master at asking questions. He's always asking questions. He, He took it to an art form. He would use questions to challenge people. He would use them to teach people, to rebuke people. He would draw someone out. He would draw them and cause them to consider deeper spiritual things. He was constantly asking questions and replying in questions to people. You know the old bumper sticker? What, you, remember, you ever seen that? Jesus is the what? Answer? You ever see those? That's true, but you know what's probably ought to be added onto it? Next time I see one of those bumper stickers, I want to add one of my own right to it. Uh, he's also the question. <laughs> He's not just the answer, he's the question. He, he asks questions all the time. You know, sometimes, I think this can be helpful for us when we think about evangelism, because oftentimes we think of evangelism as, I have to give all this information to somebody and uh, cause them to consider the way of the Lord, and I need to, I need to convince them of it, right? I got to just pepper them with information. I got to know my Bible, and I got to know apologetics, and I got to know answers to all these questions, and you know what? I don't think that's true. In fact, I think if that's your method of evangelism, you're going to probably become less and less and less effective as time goes on because our culture is changing and has changed, quite honestly, in big ways. People are much more interested in relationship than they are in information, right? They just are. I mean, think about it, especially today when uh, you can pull your phone out of your pocket and you can find about any uh, piece of information you want to find. People don't need information. They need relationship. They can find the information. 
What they want you to do is love them and get to know them. And so your goal in that relationship is to, to plant some of those questions, plant some of those seeds that creates in them a hunger to go find the information or maybe even to come to you to get the information. So, so don't just, you're, evangelism isn't about just, I used to call it Bible thumping. You take your Bible and you just thump people on the head with it. It's, it's asking questions. It's relationship. It's relational. That's what Jesus does. Information's easy to come by. People need to be loved because as we like to say, all people what? Matter. All people matter. In fact, you know, Jesus was really good at this because he, he would uh, ask questions that would often unlock some new element of truth or invite people to think and slow down. Um, and he does this. I said, I think he would probably be asking you more questions than you would him because he recognized questions are, are really an essential part of human life and of your human experience. They're foundational to life and to language and to being. In fact, um, so much so ironically that we can't define them very well. There's some philosophers that, that have, have spilled all kinds of ink trying to define what a question is. And then you can reply to them in a question, go, yeah, well, how'd that go for you? I don't, they can't do it. Yet at the same time, questions are the things that we, it's some of our earliest forms of communication. We have a two-year-old boy, right, Charlie? You know what most of his speaking to us is, to Hannah and I? It's a question. Snack? Orange? Goldfish? You know, can I do this? Can I do that? He, he, he's asking a question. It's, it's foundational to who we are. And so Jesus asked questions to draw people out. In fact, do you know how many questions Jesus asked? How, at least how many are recorded in Scripture? Guess. Draw a number. Anybody? 400. A little high. 307. You're on the right track. 307 questions. Now, how many answers did he give to questions? Eight. 307 questions, eight answers. Jesus was a master at asking questions. Now, sometimes his question was the answer, right? But it would cause people to think. You know, I, I want to show you even, it, it, was, it was fitting then that John, when he starts his gospel, do you know what the first words that John records in his gospel that come out of Jesus' mouth are? They're a question. If you've got a Bible with red letters, if you turn to the gospel of John, the first time you're going to see letters in red is Jesus asking a question. It, it starts in John chapter 1. You might turn there with me. Uh, starting in verse 35, it says, The next day John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And then the two disciples heard them say this, and they followed Jesus. John was a, a cousin of Jesus. He's a relative of his, and he's, he's sent to prepare. They were born within six months of each other. And John the Baptist, this isn't John the writer of this gospel, but John the baptizer, he, he was out by the Jordan River baptizing people, preaching a gospel of repentance, telling people to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand and uh, that the Messiah is coming. And two of, of his disciples who were standing alongside him that day, uh, John says, uh, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. They're like, hey, that's the one you've been talking about, right? You keep saying that the Lamb of God's coming, that the Messiah is coming, that all these things are going to happen. And so John, in some ways, he's kind of uh, cluing his disciples in. Hey, fellas, the Lamb of God, there he goes. 
And so then look what it says. It says, so the two of, the two of them uh, left everything and they went and followed Jesus. They went and followed him. Now, as they follow him, look what happens. Uh, Jesus turned and he saw them following and he said to them, what are you seeking? There's his first words in the Gospel of John, a question. If you have the NIV, it actually says, what do you want? Now, well, <laughs> you ever do that? Somebody's following you around. What, what do you want? You know, somebody's following you around in Walmart. Do you, do you want something? What do you need? Do you think that's the tone with which Jesus said it? I don't, I don't think it is. We'll talk about that a little later. Um, I, I think it's much more that he's asking a question here that's going deep. He's going deep with them. And why? Because Jesus always goes deep. He goes deep all the time with his questions. Uh, and look, they, they reply to him. They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? How did they reply to him? With a what? With a question. That's that rabbi-teacher relationship, right? Do you know what uh, they're probably really asking here is, where are you staying? Uh, can we follow you? Can we be your disciples? Will you be our rabbi? That's really what's going on. We'll come back to that a little later this morning. But Jesus replies to them. He says, well, come and you'll see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour. Now, I've said Jesus was a master of asking questions of people who were, who were near to him and people who were far from God. And what I want to focus in this morning is we're talking, we're in a series talking about evangelism and how uh, to, to introduce people to the gospel and to help them discover that pearl of priceless value, um, how to ask questions. And we're going to look at some of the questions Jesus asked of people who were far from God. What are some questions we can ask from people, of people who are far from God? One of the first reasons he asks is Jesus asks to learn people's story. He asks to learn their story. Uh, maybe uh, one of the best cases you can find of this is in Mark chapter 9. If you've got your Bible, you can turn there. I don't think it'll be on the screen, but um, I don't think I put it in there this week. But let me, let me read through it here with you, and you can kind of follow along. Mark chapter 9, I'm going to start in verse 14. It says, when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them. Now, when it says they, the they in this passage is Jesus and three of his disciples. This is right after uh, they had been up on the mountain, the transfiguration, and Jesus shows his glory to them, and they come back down the next day, and it says, when they came to the disciples, so the other nine, they saw a great crowd around them, and scribes were arguing with them. So here's the scene. Jesus comes down from the mountain after the transfiguration, and uh, he sees the disciples there, uh, nine of them, and they're in a big argument <laughs> with all the scribes around them. And immediately, though, all the crowd, when they saw him, when they saw Jesus, were greatly amazed, and they ran up to him and greeted him. There's debate. Why were they amazed? Was, it, was he still shining like Moses did when he came down from meeting with the Lord? I, I don't know. But in any, whatever the reason, they, I think it's just much more likely they had heard about Jesus, and now they see him, and they're like, oh, there he is. Forget these guys. There he is. And they run to him. And look what Jesus asks, and, and we don't know if, it, does he ask the crowd, does he ask the disciples, but he says, uh, what are you arguing with them about? He's either asking the, the crowd, what are you arguing with the disciples about, or the disciples, what are you arguing with the scribes about? It's one or the other. It doesn't really matter, but it, it deflects the attention then back to Jesus from whatever the argument was going on. But someone in the crowd uh, answered him, so maybe he was asking the crowd uh, what they were arguing with the disciples about. He says, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. 
And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. Now, uh, it turns out that the, his, this guy's son had been struggling with epilepsy and some other things, and he is uh, convulsing and seizures and other things. He foams at the mouth. He grinds his teeth. He becomes rigid. And so here's what, here's what was going on. He said, so I, I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they weren't able. They weren't able to. So that's probably what they're arguing about. The disciples try to cast uh, a demon out of this kid, and uh, um, it may be that he just had epilepsy and it wasn't a demon at all. We don't know. But in any case, they couldn't heal him, right? And um, he answered him. He answered them, Jesus did. He said, oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy. So clearly it was a spirit. He fell on the ground. He rolled about foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, now here's, here's, here's the deal. Jesus is asking a question to know the story. How long has this been happening to him? Now, did Jesus not know? Did he not know? Why does he ask that question? How, he said, how long has this been happening to him? And the father replies, well, from, from childhood. And I wonder how much more of the conversation happened there that we don't get to see. Jesus used this opportunity to ask a question to get to know this man's story and the story of his son. Uh, he, he could have just as easily said, bring him to me, and then healed him. But instead, what does he do? He gets to know him relationally. He asks a story. He wants to know what's going on, what's happening. How long has this been going on? Uh, Jesus would ask questions to know someone's story. It wasn't because he didn't know, but it was to draw people in. See, when somebody asks you questions about your life, isn't it true that it tends to draw you out and draw you closer to them, and you're like, oh, they, they really care about me? And sometimes maybe your reply is, I, oh, it's not that great a story. You really don't want to know. No, no, I really do. Tell me. I want to know. And if you do that, you can draw them out to learn about them, learn about who they are, because here's the deal. If, if you really consider the fact that they bear God's image, then they're precious to God, aren't they? So their story, no matter how mundane it might seem to them, matters. Your story absolutely matters. Jesus asks, not because he didn't know, but I think, I believe, to draw the man in and to give him an opportunity to come to him in faith. What are some questions you can ask people to know their story? You know, where'd you grow up? Where are you from? What was life like for you growing up? Did you grow up uh, in town and on a farm? What did your parents do? What was your relationship like with your parents? Did you know your parents? Um, uh, how did you meet your spouse if they're married? Where'd you go to school? Did you like school? Did you like junior high? Really? You're an odd one. Tell me about that. Why did you like it? Um, did you, uh, uh, how'd you end up in the career path that you're in? What, what decisions led you to that? What, what, what different circumstances of life? How, like Jesus said, how long has he been like that? How long have things been like that? Ask questions to get to know their story. You're, you're drawing them out. That's what Jesus did. There's, there's, there doesn't seem to be much other reason than to draw him towards him uh, in a closer relationship other than that for Jesus to ask that question, how long has this been happening? It was really irrelevant to Jesus healing him. It was a relational question, wasn't it? So Jesus asked questions to discover someone's story, to know their story. You can do the same thing. That's not too hard, is it? 
He also asked questions to discover their heart. He, he asked questions to discover people's hearts. Now, what you're going to see with these three questions, three types of questions, is that Jesus goes deeper each time. He, he starts a little more surfacey, you know, I mean, not that that's surfacey, but you can, you can go deep with somebody's story. But then he starts to go beyond just their story to, to their heart, to things that they're actually going to have to reveal about themselves that he wants to discover about them. And again, he was a master at this. Uh, I'll give you uh, one example that I I think we see this in. Uh, In in Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 46, it says, they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho, as Jesus was leaving with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. Be quiet. Shut up. It's Jesus. Just be quiet. Don't bother him. And so he just cried out even louder. He cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Finally, Jesus stopped and he said, he said, call him. And they called the blind man saying to him, take heart, get up. He's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and he came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, uh, what do you want me to do for you? In other words, again, what do you want? Uh, the blind man said to him, well, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. Immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. But I think this is a deeper question than just what do you want? You know, the, clearly he wanted to be able to see. This question, what do you want? We've already seen Jesus ask it once. He actually asks it nine different times in different ways of people. He asks uh, of the two blind men in Matthew 20, what, what do you want? Uh, he asks it earlier in Mark 10 of James and John arguing over uh, who would get to sit uh, beside him. You know, what, what do you guys want? He even asks it of their pushy mom who asks, um, uh, who's trying to get him to confirm that her sons, John and James, would sit at his right you know, on, on each side of him in heaven. And he turns to their mom and he's like, what, what do you want? <laughs> Clearly he wanted to be healed. But I think it was a deeper question. Um, because look at how Bartimaeus responds. Immediately he recovered his sight, verse 52, and then he followed him on the way. He followed him. You know, if we go back to John chapter 1, where we were earlier, there was, I wonder, uh, you know, we read from John chapter 1, the same question comes up when uh, some of John's disciples leave to follow Jesus, and they come up behind him, they're following him, and Jesus turns around and he says, "Uh, what do you you want? What are you seeking? And I kind of wonder, I I think that was a really, I told you, I said, I think that was actually a really deep question. And I I would almost uh, say to you, I wonder if there wasn't, uh, a little bit of a delay between Jesus' question and uh, those two guys' answer. If he says, well, what, are you, what are you seeking? What do you want? And if they walked for a while, and I don't know, half hour, an hour later, they finally answer. They say, uh, Rabbi, where are you staying? Because it was a deep question of relationship between a rabbi and disciples, and And they respond with a question, and they want to follow him. They want to go stay with him. That's what disciples would do. They'd actually often live with their rabbi. Where are you staying? This was a question. uh, This was a question, what do you want that went deeper? 
It went deeper with Bartimaeus. It went deeper, I think, with these two disciples of John. And it's a question you can ask, not just to know someone's story, but to know their, to discover their heart. You want to discover it, right? Not challenge it, discover it. What are some, what are some questions you can ask that would help discover someone's heart? Um, maybe uh, that are a little deeper than their story. Maybe it's like, a, what, what are your dreams? What do you dream about? If you could, you know, paint the future five, ten years from now, what would it be? Um, what are you passionate about? What do you get excited about? What, uh, what do you hope to get out of life? That's a little deeper question than tell me where you grew up, isn't it? What do you hope to get out of life? Now, it's probably not a good idea to start with these questions, but instead to start with story and then move deeper to discover their heart, right? But they're questions that help you go deeper into someone's life. Now, you've got to be careful not to go too deep and offend them, right? Because you can do that in a hurry, too. You've got to have a little common sense. You've got to pray for the Holy Spirit to guide you and help you. Uh, but, you know, what would you like to change about your life if you could? Uh, what are struggles you're facing? Here's a good one. What do you fear? You're sitting across a dinner table with them, and you've, you've learned their story, and you get into, hey, what do, you, what do you fear? What are you afraid of? That could open up. A whole new conversation, couldn't it? Jesus asked questions like this to discover people's heart. We can do the same. Here's the third thing I think Jesus does with his questions. He, he, he asks questions to cause people to consider spiritual things. He asks questions to cause people to consider spiritual things. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use one case in point here from John chapter 5. In John chapter 5, uh, this is a story about, uh, it says, you might see a heading, it says, the healing at the pool on the Sabbath. Well, in John chapter 5, I'll start reading. It says, after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate, it's on the, I should have been thinking, I should have shown you a picture here, on the north side of the Temple Mount, uh, there's a pool. In Aramaic, it's called Bethesda which means uh, house of grace, by the way. And it has five roofed colonnades. And this pool, if you look at some of the archaeology that's been dug up of it, it's actually two pools, and it's fed by a natural spring. And all around, all four sides of these two pools that are side by side, one flows into the other, there's these colonnades, so like these columns, but with a roof, but it's wide open, you just kind of walk through. And then there was also a colonnade, a fifth one that separated the two pools, the one that flowed into the other one. So that's why there's five. Um, uh, they've, they've been discovered there. So this is a real place. Uh, and uh, in these, in these colonnades laid a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed, it says in verse 3. So in the shade of these colonnades, under, uh, they were populated by people who were invalids, who were sick, who were hurting. Now, uh, somebody, if you could, read verse 4 for me. What's the problem? You don't have verse 4, do you? 
There's no verse 4, unless you have a King James Version. Here, now, this, I'm going to take a little aside to teach you about this for a moment. You know, in the Bible, the verse numbers that we have in our Bible uh, were actually added. They're not in the original text, but they were added later to help divide the text to make it easier to study and reference. And so what happened is when the King James Version was written in the 1600s, early 1600s, 400 years ago, so if you have a King James Version, you probably have another verse that says something like this. Verse 3 is actually longer. It'll say, uh, there were multitudes, invalids, uh, they were waiting for the moving of the water, for an angel of the Lord went down at certain times into the pool, stirred the water, and whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water uh, was healed of whatever disease that he had. Well, our English is a translation of what was originally written in Greek and Hebrew, right? And so in the original writings in Greek, when the, when the King James would have been written, uh, the translation they had, the, or the manuscript they had in Greek included that. But since then, manuscripts that are older have been found that don't have that verse in it. So it's likely that that was added by a scribe at one point to try to help explain what was going on. So it can be helpful, Right? But we, we, it's pulled out like of the ESV and NIV and other places because uh, it's not the infallible word of God. It was added later, right? So it can be helpful, but we take it with a grain of salt and it was added later. So that verse, you don't have a verse four for that reason unless you have a King James Bible. But also that's a reason we use more modern translations because as more discoveries are found, uh, our text is actually much more accurate today than it is in the King James, which is 400 years old. Anyway, since then... Uh, or, or excuse me, uh, in these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. And one man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. So one of the things we gained from those other manuscripts is there was this idea evidently among the people that if, if I got down into the water when it got stirred up because it was fed by a spring that flowed from one pool into the other, if I got into the water, um, then the first one in gets healed like a race, right? And the uh, first one, and when th this guy says, uh, when Jesus saw him lying there, and he knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, uh, do you want to be healed? If you're that guy, what would you do? Well, what do you think? Dude, I've been here like 38 years. I've been here 30, do you, what, do you, what do you mean do I want to be healed? Um, but I wonder, what's Jesus really asking here? What's he really asking? I think one thing that kind of shows us something about Jesus, that he's not going to just force himself on someone, that uh, he's causing uh, this man to consider some things, isn't he? And I think we'll see. I think I can show you he's causing him to consider, is going to cause him to consider some spiritual things. And Jesus does this a lot with his questions. Do you want to be healed? Um, he asks questions that are, that are somewhat, they're, they're haunting. I think that question would probably end up haunting this guy. You'll see it here later in the text, why I think that. But some of Jesus' questions are haunting. You ever have somebody ask you a question that's a little bit haunting, that like you, you wake up in the middle of the night thinking about? These are questions that, that Jesus would ask that would cause people to consider spiritual things. Maybe one of the most irritating questions of Jesus can be found in Matthew 16, 26. He says, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? Uh, who cares what you gain in this life if you uh, seem to be a loser and have nothing in the next life after you die? Oh, I hadn't really thought about that. 
I'm waking up in the middle of the night thinking about that. And why would Jesus do that? Why would he ask these questions that just irritate us? A friend of mine pointed me to a, a commentator last week um, who writes about uh, this very passage. And uh, I'm not sure if it was a, his commentary or if it was a sermon he preached, but he actually compared it to a pearl. Like, hey, that's our series, a pearl. And what he says is, by the way, do you know how, to, how a pearl is made? In a, in a mollusk, uh, uh, when a piece of sand or some kind of irritant gets inside the shell, uh, the the animal, rep- uh, the, mo- the mollusk will respond by uh, coating it and attacking it with this stuff called nacre, which is like this pearly substance, and that's what becomes a pearl and ends up when it's hard, looks like this. So like the inside of a shell oftentimes is really shiny and iridescent. That's what that stuff is. And so when uh, a piece of sand or something gets in there and irritates it, it attacks it with this stuff and it forms it around it. And eventually, after attacking it and going after it so long, uh, after years and years and years, it forms a pearl. But really what it's doing is self-defense. And uh, Jesus' questions are kind of like that, aren't they? These irritating questions, they they get in and they they can't leave him alone. You're like, ah, everything gets alerted and you have to go after and answer that question. And so they're going for it, going for it, going for it. But eventually, isn't it cool that What Jesus really has by design is that that irritating question might become a pearl. That irritating question might cause someone to discover the pearl of matchless value. Because it's going to force them to consider some things that they may not have otherwise considered. But these are questions you can't really lead with, are they? These irritating, haunting sort of questions. Usually it takes uh, knowing their story, discovering their heart, and then asking these types of questions. Uh, See, Jesus, in the case of this man at the pool of Bethesda, he says, do you want to be healed? And the sick man answered him. He said, well, sir, I I do, but I have no one to put me in the pool when the water's stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. And Jesus says, well, get up, take your bed, and walk. And once the man was healed, he took up his bed and walked, and now the, that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews sent, said to the man who had been healed, that's the Sabbath. It's not lawful for you to take up your bed. It's craziness. I think I've been invalid for 38 years. I think, you know, let's celebrate a little bit, even though it's uh, a day of Sabbath. Um, but he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. And they asked him, well, who is the man that said this to you? And the man, now the man who had been healed did not know who it was for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Well, afterwards, verse 14, Jesus found him in the temple and he said to him, see, you're well. Remember what did he ask him? Do you want to be healed? And now he goes to him later. He says, see, look, you're healed. You're well. Now, sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. And I just wonder from that moment on if that question, do you want to be healed, and the fact that Jesus said, see, you are healed, but but don't let something worse happen to you. If that didn't haunt him for days on end after that, what do you mean something worse? Something worse? What do you mean? And I wonder what the rest of that man's story is. We're not told. But there's questions you can ask to, to go after spiritual things, right? Just maybe, do you do you think about spiritual things? Um, what's your concept of God? 
What do you think it is about your life that's caused you to think about God in that way? What do you think happens after death? What do you think is going to happen to you after death? And, and it gives you an opportunity to ask some of these questions that could haunt people. But it might just be an irritant that forms a pearl within them, right? Wouldn't that be great? See, but these are things we can all do. And Jesus was a master at asking questions, so as his followers, we should become masters at it. But I don't want to leave you here with just like, here's types of questions to ask without giving you a little bit of strategy of how to go about it. Sound good? So let's just get practical here for a few minutes before we close. Zach, I see you sitting there. Would you mind coming up on stage and helping me? Why don't you give Zach a hand? This is Zach Munn. He sings on our worship team. Zach is... um, You're a BMOGC, a big man on Grace Campus. He's a student at Grace College, and uh, Zach, I'm going to play a little catch with you here. Is that okay? So you you can stay right there. That's good. Uh, So imagine, uh, here's a question, and here's an answer. As you go about uh, spending time with somebody, and you're going to ask some of these questions about their story and to discover their heart and maybe some spiritual things, it kind of goes like this. I'm going to hand you this, Zach. I got the question. You got the answer. I might say, Zach, how are you? In, you know, you enjoying your lunch? Hey, I got a question. Where'd you grow up? And I lob a question to him. And he responds with an answer. And now what's going to happen next? He's probably going to ask me a question, isn't he? So he, he responds back to me with a question, and I give him back an answer. And it kind of goes back and forth. And so I, I give him another question, and then I get an answer. Right? Do you agree? Now, here's what happens with some of you. Some of you really like to talk. And you're like, I don't, you know, I was, I was asking him questions, and I already thought of some answers he might want to know about me. So, uh, Zach, well, since you asked, here you go, and here's another question. And by the way, did you know this about me? And, you know, I want to tell you about this. I had this experience one time, and this was going really cool, and, oh, it was awesome, and it was really good. <laughs> it's pretty good. Good work. You've got to create some space for them to be able to receive a question and then give an answer. Now, if you're an extrovert, that's you, right? You're just lobbing, you're lobbing balls at them all the time, all kinds of answers. Like, you don't even need the questions. You're just like, come on, let's go. <laughs> and, uh, but if you're, if you're with somebody who's more introverted like me, hold on a second here, Zach. If you're with somebody who's a little more introverted like me, your constant barrage of questions may do the exact opposite of what we're aiming for when we're talking about it in this series, right? Instead, your questions might end up being more like this. (laughs) And so in in asking your questions, you're just like this. (laughs) Give Zach a hand. Thanks, buddy. See, so here's the deal. You've got to use a little common sense. If you're going to ask a question, it's okay for it to be silent for a while until you get a reply. You're not there to tell them everything about you. We we talked about it at the beginning. That's the opposite, really, of what's effective as it comes to evangelism. They They don't need information. You're trying to draw them out. You're wanting to get to know them. Leave space for them to answer some questions. Ask and wait. Draw them out. But here's the deal. In the, midst, in the midst of that, questions are going to get lobbed back at you, right? So answer as well. And you, then all of a sudden, this ask piece moves into the reveal piece, doesn't it? And you get to reveal who you are. 
And you get to reveal at some point, especially as you get to some of these spiritual questions, maybe it's not even in this meeting, maybe it's a month from now, you get to reveal, hey, by the way, have you thought more about that question I asked you about what happens after you die? You know what, that question used to bother me, but it doesn't anymore. And let me tell you why. Let me explain to you what I think the Bible teaches about this and what I've found to be true. But you're not starting with you. You're starting with them and loving them, right? That's the idea, guys. That's the idea. That's how Jesus went about it. He didn't force himself on people. He goes to the man in Bethesda. Do you want to be healed? He doesn't say, here, let me throw you in the pool. (laughs) Do you want to be healed? Let's, Let's go. We're sent to love people, so let's do that and then invite them to follow Jesus with us. Amen? And we can do that by praying for them, eating with them, asking them questions, and then revealing our story when we have the chance, loving them the whole time. I challenge you, who are you inviting next Sunday? I'll tee it up for you to be able to reveal your story if you're at that point of the journey. But but they'll hear the gospel clearly and as plainly as I can make it. And it's going to be a fun morning of celebration. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus, and thank you for your grace to us through him. Lord, uh, thank you for your example. Jesus, you were a master at asking questions that drew people out. Uh, you were a master at um, uh, getting to know people. At, at uh, I forgot to say it this morning, but as my friend Jeff says, to connect with them before you correct them. That seemed to be what you were, you were always doing. You were connecting with people before you were correcting them, correcting them. Uh, Maybe it was sin, or maybe it was uh, just their view, Jesus of you, their understanding of